You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Why I'll Never Make It, a lighthearted podcast that takes a revealing look at a career in the entertainment industry, featuring stories and conversations with those on stage and backstage, on screen and behind the scenes. To keep up with all the guests and episodes, go to the website, winmepodcast.com. There you will find ways to follow and connect via Twitter and Instagram, as well as ways to support and donate to this podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, and this is Why I'll Never Make It. Welcome back to another episode of the show. So glad to have you with me. And I am so glad to have my guest, Matthew Stern. He is a stage manager, and he's actually the first stage manager that I've had on the show. So I'm so glad to to have his perspective and the amazingly wonderful, but also demanding job that stage managers have. And he can talk all about that. In fact, he has created a symposium, and it's in, they're in their fifth year now, an annual symposium, where he gathers stage managers to talk about the ins and outs and the ups and downs and just the demanding work that goes into being a stage manager. And they can all kind of share their stories and share their experiences to better their own craft. And because that's really what it is. Stage management is itself, even though there's a lot of businessy things that go with it, there is an art and a craft to it. And so my guest today, Matthew Stern, is going to be talking about that distinction and balancing both the artistic and the business side of management. Matt, thank you so much for coming to my my home studio here in Washington Heights. Well, that's not just a pleasure, it's an honor. Thank you. <laughs> good, good. Well, you know what? Why don't we just dive right in? Because one of the things that I am wondering about is that when it comes to the actor-stage manager dynamic, what do you think is the most important thing that they realize and understand about each other? Well, communication is is really a key. Actors and stage managers inhabit the same space. We're in the rehearsal hall together. We're in the theater together. So it's really important for us to build a really good mutually understanding relationship. Um, I think the most important thing that I would think act I would want actors to understand is that we are there for them. Absolutely. Like, like yeah. we're, we're we're not trying to enforce rules or other um, things on top of the process to make it difficult or more challenging. 
we're really there to support them and to help them. So all the whatever institutional processes are going on around us or that we get tasked with different challenges of get them to do this or not to do that or or just p- keeping people quiet in the wings sometimes. Mm-hmm. It really is about serving them and the process. So that, and, that would be great. <laughs> oh, oh, absolutely. Because it, it really is kind of a symbiotic relationship of us helping and facilitating each other in making the show come off. Yeah, because without the actors being able to feel safe and comfortable doing their job, it doesn't matter what we do. So we create the safe working environment where they can be able to risk and take chances and experiment and try and, and feel safe. Because mostly us actors, we see you in the rehearsal room, and so you're taking your notes, you're doing you know, you kind of your tasks behind the table there. But so much of your job happens before rehearsal and after rehearsal, and, and even before the, the, the rehearsal process even started, you know, before we were even cast. So what is a normal day like for you from, from the top until the end of the day? Well, how much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I won't go into the full minutiae. But, uh, I mean, because that's like a 16-hour day. So, the, like, you know, maybe scrunch that down into three sentences. <laughs> sure. Uh, we're always in at least an hour before the actors. So if you think of the actors, the rehearsal day, 10 to 6. Our day is minimum 9 to 7. Hmm. So come in at 9, set up the rehearsal hall, make sure schedules are distributed, coffee is made, water is out, new pages are distributed, props are in the right places for whatever we're doing first on the bill, and then kick off the rehearsal, get it started, Support the rehearsal, whether that's through following along on, on book, prompting lines, moving props or scenery, um, taking notes, prepping the report, whatever information is coming, sending that out via text or emails, flying back and forth about what changes are coming or what updates are needed. Um, call breaks, make sure we stay on track so the actors get those fives or ten minute breaks when they're they're required to have. Get people back from break, which <laughs> can be a <laughs> challenge sometimes. Um, Keep the rehearsal hall flowing. Um, we're kind of in charge of the, the mood and the timbre and the, the feeling in that rehearsal hall. So we're able to facilitate that process. If they need something, our job is to get it, whether it's the director needing a cup of coffee or going out for a Starbucks run, which we're, we're not really supposed to do, but we do that. But yeah, yeah. you're there to serve, right? Exactly. Yeah. Servant leadership is what it's about. Yeah. Um, call the lunch break, check the emails, Keep communication flowing between designers, upper management, general management, company management, whatever's coming out of rehearsal, uh, notes that are coming from the from the director or the actors. Oh, can I have a pocket? Do I have, um, am I wearing a skirt in the scene or pants? Find out so that they know what they can do. Right, right. So, so just every little question or problem or issue or anything that comes up, you're just there to take notes, find the answer, and, and get it taken care of. Exactly. It, and it, it sounds like it's never ending. As far as that list of things. It doesn't. (laughs) Then we make sure rehearsal ends when it's supposed to end. And then codify and quantify all those notes from the day and make sure everything's been dealt with. Then prep the schedule and get the schedule sent out for the next day. Wow. And hopefully that's all done an hour after rehearsal. And then you can go home or go have dinner or a drink. (laughs) Right. And do something non-stage manager related. Yeah. At least for a little bit. Until the phone rings or, you know, your phone starts beeping. Yeah. (laughs) Now, I know for, for us actors... One thing is when we finally get into the theater space itself, and it seems like that the tech rehearsal is really when, not that you haven't been working, but that's when stage manager is like, okay, now I'm in charge, and now I am overseeing many more things. I liken it to we're driving the bus now. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, we don't get to pick the bus. We don't get to pick the destination. 
We or don't the, get or the students in that bus. Or the passengers. <laughs> but but we, we do have to drive it. We have to get to opening night with everything teched and proper and safely done, uh, all according to the director and the designer's vision. So that's when you hear our voice on the God mic telling, telling everyone where we're starting, when we're stopping, um, and giving directions so that we can go step by step through the entire show. And every physical cue, whether it's a sound cue, a set move, a lighting change, happens when it's supposed to happen. Yeah. So that's when, that's when we basically learn our lines. Like our script is calling, you know, lights cue 23, go. You know. yeah, yeah, because that, that's something that I, I was talking to a stage manager in a show I was recently doing. And she was saying how she had to kind of figure out when to call a cue based upon a line. And obviously, actors, we say lines at different speeds, maybe depending on the night. And so she would have to kind of gauge when that cue would be called based upon a line that was constantly changing. That's kind of the symbiotic relationship between actor and stage manager in that moment. I had this experience uh, very clearly demonstrated when I was doing Billy Crystal's tour of 700 Sundays. As an amazing comic, he works the audience and changes his phrasing or inflection just enough knowing that audience to get just the laugh he wants. Mm. So as a show caller, I'm there with the script, knowing what the next words should be, knowing how he said it last night, but still having to kind of be in his head, knowing which way he's going to, figuring out which way he's going to do it now. Yeah. And then so that I get the call, the cue called in just the right spot so that the operator has just enough time to push the button to where the thing happens right where Billy in his mind wants it to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So it could be, it could be really exciting and it could also be really, really terrifying in that way. But when it's really working, that's like that. We're like the unseen third party in that scene. Oh, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. An essential part of, uh, of everything that goes on that the actors have nothing to do with, you know, the set, the lights, the sound and all that kind of stuff. So when it comes to, we'll take a step back now. And when it comes to being in a show, what is that interview? What's basically your audition like? Um, it really is about relationship building. So someone knows someone who's looking for someone, and then you get a phone call or an email, hey, are you available? We're having interviews. Can you send me your resume? And so networking becomes the real key to building a career, and your reputation becomes your headshot in essence Hmm. Um, because the business is really kind of small when you think about it. Um, Everyone knows everyone. You know, we all know the game, you know, Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. (laughs) I think it's just one degree in our business. Everyone knows everyone. You just got to get to the one right person. Right, right. And then once you have the opportunity, it is about an interview. And as a production stage manager, that's usually with the director. You know, that relationship that the director can feel confident that the stage manager is going to be able to implement their vision the way they want it, to feel supported and understood um, is really, really key and trusted within that relationship that you were talking about, do you find that you tend to work with the same people over and over again? Or, or is it kind of like, as, as you said, that degree of separation where someone knew someone that you worked with a lot and now you're moving on into other areas? Well, my personal career has been one where I've had a lot of diversity. I very rarely worked with the same team twice. Oh, interesting. Um, I know other stage managers who have worked with the same person for two, three, four, five, ten years, um, time after time after time. And when you create that relationship with someone, it makes sense. You know, we work well together. We're a great team. I know a great stage manager friend who's assisted the same PSM on easily 10 different Broadway shows. And that's wonderful. My career has just gone in such a way that the opportunities have come up through more of a snake-like circuitous path (laughs) where it's like, well, 
my show's about to close, but I had lunch with my friend on this day, and then that person knew someone who was looking for someone on another show, and so they gave them my name, and then that wound up to being the next show. And it's, it's very, very uh, intriguing to try to plot out which relationship led to which job in which fashion. And so with, with this kind of process, how much of it is that random call that you weren't expecting and you actually, like us actors, having to go out there, pound the pavement, and look for that work? You have to network. You, have to be, you can't just work with someone once 10 years ago and expect that that person's going to remember you 10 years later. You need to stay in touch. Now, one of the great things about trying to do that in our contemporary age is all the social media you have. True. You can be in touch with people via Facebook or Instagram or Twitter in a way that you couldn't before. Um, when I was coming up, it was about, you know, we still had email. You know, I remember getting my very first email address when I first graduated from college, and that was right. a very, very big day. Um, but it was about sending out that email every so often. Hey, how you doing? Thinking about you? Or, or just getting together physically. When I started in New York, there was a group of us about the same age, and we always did Thursday night drink night. Nice, yeah. So it was all about getting together and being social, enjoying each other's company. And in that process, we would share some of our joys and challenges that we were having um, personally, professionally. And then, of course, we would talk about what we know and what's going on in the business. And so with those kind of conversations, what tended to be a theme among stage managers that were their, their issues or problems that they would face? Uh, we work really long hours. That's always a, that's <laughs> yeah. always a big one. I, I tell stage managers, don't ever try to figure out your hourly it's not worth it. It's just that. Yeah. No, no. It's, it's worth it on the inside. Mm-hmm. On the, that's where it's worth it. But, you know, you put in the time that it takes to get the job done, and getting the job done is its own reward and great satisfaction. You know, stage managers don't get Tonys. We don't get awards. Um, we do it for the satisfaction of knowing that you were a key part of that process. That's why when, you know, Nathan Lane goes up and thanks his stage managers, you're like, yes, awesome, we've, <laughs> we've been acknowledged. It. Yeah, it, it, it feels really good. You don't do it for those reasons. We don't get the applause, but you do it to be able to go at the end of the day. You finish the calling the show. It's the last cue of Les Miserables. Everyone's walking off stage and you're like, oh, we did it again. Yeah. That yeah. was, yeah. I did Les Mis for two years, six months and a week on tour. And every time we finished that show, it was like another marathon. It's like well, you did. Yeah, oh, because that's great. like a, a three-hour show. Yeah, and, and yeah before like, the cuts, which is when I did it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then the cuts made it like 2.45, maybe exactly. two and a half. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's constant from the beginning to end. You're just go, go, go. Because there's so much happens in that show. And, you know, and, but then you also have those shows where it's like one set. Um, you know, the, the, there may be three actors. And so much simpler show does the type of work you do depend on that production as well the type is much more different a show some that i did similar to what you're describing is the death of a salesman revival i did with philip seymour hoffman and andrew garfield yeah um that they we had one lift on the show for the the beds for biff and hap so technically it was nothing basically a unit set um the challenge was the interpersonal dynamics and having to be hyper aware of what those actors would need and be available for them and also, in this specific case, what not to do. Hmm. Like, like Philip needed to do his own process. I mean, you got to respect someone whose job every day is to come in and get to a place where they kill themselves. Right. This is, yeah. a, this is a big deal. So whatever his process was, it was respecting that. So if we wind up at the coffee table getting coffee at the same time, it's not about chatting him up and saying hi. If he needs something, I'm aware of it. I know he's there. He will ask for it. Otherwise, my job is to fade away and let him do what he needs to do. And that's its own kind of 
skill. I think one of the very important skills, especially younger people, I know I was like this myself too, knowing when not to speak. Hmm. That's as important as knowing when to speak. A lot of times we think we have the answer. Oh, I got the thing. Or, oh, they did. Listen, use your ears first. Use your emotional intelligence first. Be aware of the situation. Assess, is it your place to come up with a solution? Then take the step forward. I, th- I think that's something that us actors also have a time learning is, you know, because as actors in the scene, listening isn't as important as the lines we actually have to say. So from that craft, but then also in the audition space where we have to listen to the director, take that uh, critique, take that adjustment and then do something with it. So I, I, th- I think it's just the same thing for, for actors when it comes to listening. Well, I know some really great stage managers who used to be professional actors. I mean, I started as an actor a million years ago, never professionally, but there's a few that I've worked with who have had great careers on Broadway as actors and then became amazing stage managers, and they have that skill, that ability to empathize and hear and listen, not just, mm-hmm. not just with their ears, but with the, their, whole, their whole being in a way. Now, you are a member of the Actors' Equity Union, and yes. it's called the Actors' Equity, not the Stage Managers' Union. And so I, I have wondered, because it seems like Yes, we're all in the show together, but it, it is very different. Like stage directors and choreographers have their own union and, and musicians have their own union. Does it often feel like that there's competing interests when it comes to being in the same union with actors? I, I wouldn't say often, but I also wouldn't say never. The great part about it is that we are subject to the same work rules. And unlike anyone else in the entire process, actors and stage managers are the only people that are together from first rehearsal to closing night. That is true. Yeah, because the director comes and goes. They you know, come in first. We, we, we open. All the creatives are out the door. Sure. The crew doesn't join us until we move into the theater. So there's a relationship there that's, I think, very helpful for us to have that ability to be protected by the same organization. So we are we are in this together. Um, the the challenges are, you know, when we're trying to figure out creative ways to find. The solutions within you know the work rules that were given. Sometimes it feels like there's a little little push prod. It's like, well, my union tells me this, but I think we can do this, and it would be better if we did that. But the union is me that, and so there's a little uh, challenge there. But I've also found that Actors Equity on a whole has been much more responsive recently to the needs of stage managers than I felt when I was I felt you know ten years ago. Yeah, as being in committees right now, that has certainly been something that's come up a lot more. It's like, we'll go through and talk about the issues actors have, and invariably, someone in the committee is like, well, what about stage managers? What what do you need in this particular case? And so I think that it's really, uh, I think it's come from actors that we recognize that you guys have just different needs, a different set of criteria that you have to work with in the rehearsal space and in uh, performances. Yeah, even with everything going on with the recent developmental contract negotiations, there was still was a piece of pie that a, uh, that we were working on that was for stage managers, that was trying to address not just the larger concerns about salaries for everyone and protecting rehearsal weeks and the participation uh, portion, but also addressing the needs of stage managers in this process was, was a part of it. And I was very, very pleased that that was one of the things that our union was looking to do for us. And something that you yourself have taken upon as, as far as creating those conversations and trying to address the needs of stage managers is something called Broadway Symposium. Can you tell us a little bit about how that started and what exactly it is? Yeah, the Broadway Stage Management Symposium. It's a two-day conference 
built in essence by stage managers for stage managers. There's very little uh, available that services, I think, the unique needs of stage managers. There's a million different workshops, classes, conferences for actors. Um, lots of things for designers and directors have opportunities um, to work on their craft. But as far as stage managers, what we do is so difficult to put your finger on. It's, it's kind of like picking up sand <laughs> and say, look what I did. And the sand is running out of your hands. Like, I can't show you what I did because it's falling away. And, and each of those grains of sand is another aspect to your job that you have to do. Yeah, absolutely. I can't hold up a rendering or take a picture or say, you know, come to my reading, you'll see my work. It's like, <laughs> right. no, because it's all the interplay between people. So I've been teaching for many years and I went through a process where I was closing a lot of Broadway shows. So my class would participate a lot in the process, come and observe rehearsal, come and observe a preview, a tech, whatever. And that interplay of having them in the space and talking about what I'm doing as I'm doing it was really valuable. So uh, I kind of harken back to when I was a student, I attended uh, the very first Broadway lighting design masterclass. I was like, wouldn't it be great if there was something like that for stage managers? And so what we do at the Broadway Stage Management Symposium is we bring together all of our Broadway colleagues and we have various panels on all sorts of different topics about the art and craft of stage management. Hmm. So over the two days, we'll have 12 to 14 different panels on various topics, um, emotional intelligence, servant leadership, um, relationship with the director, uh, all different types of focused conversations with the Broadway pros who are doing it right now. And so anyone can come. It's totally open to the public. And I've had people as young as high school students who are really interested in stage management, all the way to people who are coming to stage management later in life, who've been working off-Broadway for years, people who are educators and teaching stage management come, from people from Cirque du Soleil or cruise ship industries who are interested in what, how we're doing it and what our process is like. And the majority of, of the attendees is that college students, you know, I'm about to graduate or recently graduated, the, you know, 20-somethings who really want to dive in, want to meet all these great Broadway stage managers and talk to them and get their insights and information, because some of them have 20, 30, 40 years of Broadway experience. I mean, our very first keynote speaker was Peter Lawrence, who, you know, won a Tony honor for stage management just a few years ago. Wow, yeah. Yeah, it's great. I mean, the attendees are amazing. Uh, the PSMs of many Broadway shows. I can, you, I can go on and on, but broadwaysymposium.com will give you all the detailed information. Um, last year, we had a lot of great uh, panels about uh, sexual harassment, and Actors' Equity participated in that, right, right. Um, about what stage managers needed to know in the post-Weinstein era. Um, another panel about uh, diversity uh, in stage management specifically, and what we can and should be doing to try to keep our workplace diverse. Um, and this year we're looking at doing some things like, uh, I was just talking about this earlier with a, another young stage manager about social media for stage managers. What, like, what, like, like, like how to promote yourself or just how to, to, to get yourself out there, that networking you were well, talking about? Kind of all of it. One, people are coming to social networking earlier and earlier. So how do I curate and manage my social, my social life, my social media presence as a professional stage manager? What do I need to be c concerned about? Cause we man, we, we are on that line between management and, and the actors. So we need to be up considerate of management. But we also need to be able to be with the actors. So where, where is that line in the social sphere? Hmm. And also, how do we manage social media use in rehearsal and in the show? Social media uh, marketing is such a big deal, and the actors are even encouraged to use social media. 
but then how do we keep it from distracting from the process? You know, right. Yes, right. we want it. We want the snapshots going up. We want everyone. To, we want to be the next. Be more chill. That the social media <laughs> drives us right to Broadway. <laughs> right. Um, but also, we need to be respectful of the process. So, how do we manage that? I've done many shows where the actors are going on stage with you know their phones in their bra or tucked in their pants, and yep. they come off stage and okay, well, there's pockets for cell phones where there used to be pockets for water bottles. Isn't you know? that funny? Yeah. yeah, it's just a, it's a different <laughs> world. So we need to be more aware of a how we manage it in our space, but how we manage ourselves and our own relationship to the social media. And I think it'll be a very interesting conversation to have with some of the stage managers who are pretty savvy in that world. And then I've also been talking with some of the social marketing people on Broadway to come into that conversation as well. So we can all kind of talk about it together. What would you say, how would you define is the, the art and craft of stage management? Well, it's, ma it's many things. The art and craft of stage management, for me, if them to put it really simply, is people skills. And if you think of working with people and how you manage people and lead people as an art, that art form is what I think stage management is. Hmm. Unlike a painter who's painting with, you know, I have canvases, I paint out oil paints and blues and reds. Well, I have different skills in my toolbox, and I'm not going to talk to Philip Seymour Hoffman the same way I talk to Billy Crystal, the same way I talk to my dance captain, the same way I'm going to talk to my dresser, the same way I'm going to talk to the usher. You have to relate to people individually, yeah. who they are. And uh, I recently, you know, I told my kids all the time when they were younger, the golden rule, treat other people the way you want to be treated, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, 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 there's this thing called the platinum rule. It's treat other people the way they want to be treated. Oh, yeah. It's like, yeah, that's whoa. a good way to look at it. Like, that's a big deal. That's a big step when you actually think about it. Like, okay, it's not about what I want, it's about what they want. So if I can try to project and think about from their point of view, mm -hmm. then I can better understand them, better I can serve them. Not that you always do everything everyone tells you to do, but you understand why that's being asked. And then sometimes what's being asked is not what's really needed. You know, many times, I'm sure you've had this experience where somebody's complaining about their scene partner and they're not really complaining about their scene partner. They're really upset, you know, that their partner at home, something else is going on or something going on with their kids or their finances, their parents, all this other stuff is going on under the surface. So if you could just listen, like we were talking earlier, emotional intelligence, listening and hearing that person, you can be a better sounding board. Often happens, I get tons of notes from an actor coming at me I understand, I hear you. I don't have to do a thing about it except be the sounding board. Mm -hmm. Be the person that they can vent all that stuff out to. Yeah. And by not reacting, just being that uh, able to absorb it, they get it out. Okay, that's great. Now they're able to go back out there and do the scene. Yeah. It re it really is it really is powerful sometimes if you can take that step out of it and then look at it from the other person's side. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like, like you said, you really have to be a sounding board and kind of absorb a lot of things that come at you from from different directions. Would you say that that that's one of the the toughest parts and and kind of like cutting off your emotions so you're not yelling or getting you know angry at this or that or frustrated that you kind of are able to keep even keel, uh, keeping calm. I, I wouldn't say cutting off emotions because I want stage managers to still be themselves. You can still have a personality. You can right, still be right. a person. Of course. Um, like I know some stage managers who are like, uh, I think it was a, Peter Lawrence actually said this at, at uh, I think it was the second symposium. He's like, yeah, I had a reputation. My, my catchphrase was four, four blenders, no waiting. 
Because he was all about celebrating and company morale and keeping everyone happy, and he was t- convinced the producers to have parties. Mm-hmm. But then um, another stage manager comes in and is like, yeah, I view my job like, a, like a, I'm being a mechanic, and I'm given this car, and i got to keep this car running. So it's a much more technical way of looking at things. Yeah, yeah. So I can be who I am and, and my strengths, but being able to be calm no matter what that are is, is very, very uh, key. Yeah. Um, so that you don't have to, when something's going wrong, you can't be the person to panic. You know, that's, uh, that's why another one of the sessions we're doing this year at the symposium is about show stops. Okay. You know, being comfortable with stopping the show. Because most of the time when something goes wrong, that's usually the best thing you could do is just stop. Yeah. I, I mean, th- there is that, there's that need or want to just kind of push through what we'll get it through. To, but yeah, th- there are those times where it's just, all right, we have to stop now yeah. and fix this. Yeah. And I want to take the mystery of that away and don't, and that the show must go on spirit is, is great in the movies <laughs> yeah. with Mickey O'Rourke and Judy Garland in the fifties yeah. and sixties. But, um, when you're dealing with traps and flying and you, you really have to remember that although theater is not brain surgery, Sometimes, sometimes it is. And, you know, and I would say from an audience standpoint, it's kind of interesting whenever you kind of get a glimpse and like, oh, something went wrong. They have to stop it. You watch them fix it. You pick it up. And, and you can kind of feel like, you know, the audience kind of gets on the edge of their seat again, like they're engaged again. Like, oh, oh, what, what's, what's going on? Audiences usually love it. Mm-hmm. It's something that reminds us that we are live. That's the beauty of the theater. Otherwise, just go to just right, go to a right, movie. Just go to a movie. The fact that the whole thing could fall apart at any moment <laughs> is what makes it so amazing. Absolutely, yeah. That it, that it's completely different in the moment, on the fly. We're just making it happen. Yeah, I mean, people went to see Spider Man just for that. Oh, oh, that's why I went to go see it. I mean, <laughs> I, w- I was certainly never hoping that for some no, not tragedy, not for anyone to get hurt. Right? But you're like, oh, what crazy but, thing is going to happen now? Yeah, it's like this has been in previews for two years now, and they can't get it right. What is going on? So yeah, so I wanted to see yeah. what what it was all about. So as long as you don't keep your show stops too long or too interminable, I think audiences are too frequent. Like stopping three, four times in a show is quite unfortunate. Yeah. But audiences are quite forgiving. They love it. It's it's getting stage managers to understand that it's okay and being able to justify that decision. If the director's coming back and saying, why did you do that? My, 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 my art, my thing. It's like, well, your actors were unsafe. Right. So we kept them safe and your audience is still totally bought in because your actors do a really great job. Just be able, be able to not defend it, but to communicate why that that was the best decision. And for producers, oh my God, you stopped the show. That's a, it's like, it's better to stop and get everyone off stage safely than for you to have to deal with a lawsuit. Right, or an injured actor and then have to replace them. Yes, or, or, this is going to no. be better. Right. Um, right. So I think if we can instill that confidence in people, which when I first started, I was not very confident in doing that. But through the course of some of the shows I've done, like The Little Mermaid, we wound up stopping quite often. Mm. So it becomes, this is what the actors need to feel safe. That's not a problem. I got very, very good at stopping and starting shows. I have no problem doing it. It's like the easiest thing to do. It's not a big deal. And we should take the mystery away from that. If you need to stop for two two reasons, two big reasons. One, there's a safety concern. Any danger, just stop. Not worth it. Right. Two, you can't tell the story anymore. If you can't tell the story anymore, when I was doing Les Mis, one time the turntable stopped during uh, the barricade scene facing the wrong way. So instead of all the actors shooting upstage for the final barricade, they're shooting downstage at the audience. And Gavroche is sitting out there pretending he's dead. And Andras winds up dying and falling, and he's dead. And you're like, okay, I have two 
actors pretending to be dead downstage, and nobody can watch Valjean rescue Marius. Mm, right, yeah. Except for that, we really could keep going. <laughs> but if you miss that, you kind of miss the whole rest yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's kind of a pivotal moment in the yeah, show. Yeah. So then we stopped. No one was in danger. The actors were fine. They were just laying down waiting for someone to tell them to get up. <laughs> but that was when, okay, that's when you have to stop. You can't yeah. tell the story anymore. So you stop. It's a really key plot point. Yeah, it reminds me whenever I was on the Adams Family tour, oh. and, and so there's this uh, one point at which uh, Pugsley is in his bed, and it goes from one end of the stage to the other, uh, and in in that in that transition, the the drop that was behind him got caught in the in the trap as he was going, oh, and so it. You know, they, they kept saying their lines because Mortician, Pugsley, they, they kept saying their lines, but now their scene was done and they're still on stage. And so, you know, the stage ranchers had to call, you know, over the over the God mic, please hold. One of the ASMs went out, yanked, you know, got it, got it going. And then it went on and the audience clapped. So, I mean, the, the audience was just like in it and, and wondering what was going to happen. The magic and, of the theater, the audience is participating yeah. in the suspension of disbelief. Yeah. And our imaginations are so powerful that we can decide to believe something the next and then like, oh yeah, this is all just fun. And and then oh, I believe it and still wind up crying and laughing exactly. in and get all back the good into ways. It. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I love stories like that. It's it's Not that we want something to go wrong, but when stuff does, that's always kind of when, when we kind of step up. If something goes awry where no one's in danger, yeah. it, can be, it can be great. In, in, in Les Mis, when we, we didn't get the gates on one, one day for um, the attack on the Rue Plumet. You know, the, the turntable goes back and forth, and it's the Tenardiers waiting to attack, and Eponine telling him no, and then it's Marius and Cosette falling in love, and you're going back and forth and back. But one day, the, the gates didn't go on, it, and I was like, I'm on deck. Okay, I ran upstage. I told Marius and Cosette, there's no gates. There's no gates. What? The gates aren't on. Go! <laughs> and they went right on stage, and they acted the whole scene as if the gates as were there. As if the gates were there. And I tell you, Marius came off stage, a great actor, friend Tim Howard. He came off stage, he was like, that was the best scene ever. <laughs> we were so in it. It was amazing. I was like, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. We're going to have the gates tomorrow, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, the gates are coming back. Yeah, but I'm so glad that was a, it was a great acting experience for them because yeah. they really had to be present. And it, it snaps you out of the doldrum of doing the same show eight times a week, every week. Yeah. Just that, That's like when an understudy goes on or a swing, you're in a combo show. And just having that something that's just a little bit different jacks everybody up again. Right, right. It kind of raises the awareness, not yeah. only of the actors, but then I, I think that, that helps the audience because they're really getting something fresh, not something that we've been doing for the last three months that's been the same. It's now something that's really fresh, and I think that, that helps yeah. the show itself mm -hmm. have and, that kind of fresh. And that, even as a stage manager, when I'm calling the show time after time after time, if my energy lags and goes down, the crew's energy goes down and, and lags. So by keeping myself buoyant and not, not like, you know, super giddy happy all the time on headset, but by staying up and aware and you can feel it in the, my tone of voice, that mm -hmm. keeps the crew engaged as well. It's, a, it, it's so crazy how that can be because I had a conductor who had that same mentality that whenever she would just, you know, one, mm -hmm. two, three, four, just kind of conducting and it's fine and it's okay, then you got a fine performance from the orchestra. But then there was those, she would be booping and bopping and dancing and, yeah. and really just getting into the groove of the music. And that infected the, uh, the, the musicians with more energy. Us on stage, we kind of gave a little extra to those upbeat numbers. So it, just, just a mindset or an attitude can really help everyone. Yeah, those fine little details 
in, in how you do your job, not do you do, but how you do it. Yeah, yeah. Those little things are what really change the timbre of what happens in rehearsal. Yeah. So as a stage manager, how I send someone to break, how I call us back from break, how I call the half hour, like those little things actually man, actually matter. And that's one of the things I love about the symposium that we talk about that high level view of what you're trying to do. It's not just making paperwork and calling cues. That's why it's not a basic class. It's the symposium is not where you're going to go to learn how to make a prop list, but it is where you're going to go to come out with amazing insights in how to stage manage, how to be a better stage manager, how you approach your job, and what tools you can use to do that even better. Absolutely. And you had mentioned the various different kinds of shows that you've done over your career. And so what... To a stage manager, what is making it? What is that idea of, okay, now now I've arrived. I am now a full-fledged stage manager. <laughs> well, I've been thinking about that, and I think it's different at different points in my career. Like early on when I went to college, it was just, I will have made it if I could make a career in the theater doing something, sweeping the floors, anything. If it's in the theater, <laughs> then I will have made it. Yeah. So that's when I go to my first theater class and the professor says I need some people to work backstage in a show if you want to help out show up at the theater at four o'clock and I show up at two you know it's that so that was the mentality that I had then then after you're doing it for a while it's like oh my god making if I can just get to Broadway if I could just get to Broadway and then you get to and then you get there and it's your first opening night and it's like wow I've made it and then a few weeks later your show closes (laughs) which which happens happens. (laughs) absolutely yeah yeah um for me now, it's a little different place. As a professional, it was like, okay, well, I want to be able to pay my bills. I want to work with people that I really enjoy working with, and I want to spend time with my kids. So that's that's kind of making it. Being, it's kind of having that balance of the personal and the professional. Work-life balance at a certain point is is something that we, re- especially stage managers, really struggle with. I get asked that question a lot. I, I gave a talk at, the, at Cal State Northridge a couple weeks ago. And the very first question was the work-life balance question. It's like, okay, well, I have a very simple answer that you're not going to like. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the answer is, but I know that we struggle with it. And every day you make choices multiple times a day on what you're going to choose to do and what you can, what you have to say yes to and what you have to say no to. And it's those little, little struggles all the time. Because it, it is a, a 24-7 job almost. Because Just because it's your day off, like on a Monday, doesn't mean that the, the, the producing team or anyone else has their oh, day Those general off. managers will come in from a weekend off and you know, start going through the emails that you sent all weekend. And then, <laughs> and then your inbox will start blowing up. But then it's a question of how do you manage that? Do you not return emails to at least after, no- after 12 noon? Do you jump in right away and say, okay, now it's 2 o'clock. Now I really am taking the rest of my day off? Mm-hmm. And you can, at a certain point, make those decisions. Um, it's challenging because we feel a lot of responsibility. Like anyone who goes into stage management does it because they, they love taking care of everything. Right. And we get a certain value and fulfillment from being the person to find solutions, to take care of it, to solve the problems, to make it happen. Um, so that's a real challenge for us in our own personality and our own makeup. The things that make us good stage managers aren't necessarily always the good things that are the best in our personal life. So it's about learning that and understanding it. And uh, it's actually, I harken back to one of the panels we had last year that was a stage manager moms. At the symposium, we had seven different ladies, all professional Broadway stage managers with great careers who have kids all the way from toddlers to the, off in college, talking about their struggles and challenges and solutions that they were able to come up with to try to make it work yeah. in being a Broadway stage manager 
and still being able to balance having a life. With with your jobs that you've had, are there ones that, that stick out to you the most, either for good or for bad reasons, as, as, as far as like, these are the examples of what to do, what not to do? Well, the Billy Crystal's tour, 700 Sundays, in some ways was the hardest job I've had and the easiest job I've had. If you were on deck, you had four cues. It was places, <laughs> bring Billy to the stage, end of the act, light him off stage, tell him the Yankee score. Then places for act two, walk him to the stage. Then end of the show, light him off stage and tell him the Yankee score. <laughs> it was that simple. Yeah. But when you were calling the show, as I alluded to earlier, it was really about trying to get into his head. And we had a lot of projection cues and a lot of sound cues. And you really had, you couldn't sit back for a moment. You could, it's like, it's not, oh, there's the musical number. This is going to happen on count seven. No. <laughs> it's like the button is not always coming on eight. You had to be in it with him. You really had to do the dance. It was you and him. And you had to be, you had to, and sometimes if he had a great audience, he'd go on, you know, two and a half, 245, three hours. And everyone's loving it. It's great. But you're like, okay, keep it going. Keep <laughs> We're it going. still going, yeah. Yeah, so that's a good example of that. There, there are some sh- other shows like Hands in a Hard Body, which we had such an amazing ensemble. It was such a great feeling. And we felt like we were saying something really special, We're talking about the American dream and the struggles of real people in our country. And it was, it was a powerful statement, I thought, how this truck became the symbol of what people needed in their lives and were missing um, a, a hope in yeah. a way. And uh, so the company was pulled together in such an amazing way. And because we didn't come out of the gate as a huge hit and the show struggled financially uh, at the very beginning, the company was going crazy on social media and making videos and hanging out and trying to find ways themselves to spur interest in the show. Because everyone who came to see it loved it. Yeah. Just not enough people chose to buy tickets about a musical about people standing around a truck. <laughs> I don't a, know why, but it's a, it's, it could be a tough sell. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. A, it was. A, so that was moving in that way that we really felt like we were all into something great. Going forward, what do you see as? The, the next step in, in your career or in stage management? Because as, as the years have gone on, technology has certainly helped the stage manager in their job. And are there things that you see coming forward that will make the stage manager job easier or make your work easier and better? Philosophically for me, with the symposium and with my teaching, and um, my mission is try to get younger stage managers to understand earlier in their careers that 3,000 foot view of stage management. That what we do as managers and leaders is the real overarching sentiment of our work. Uh, Many young stage managers, myself included, come in like, oh, I love making paperwork and I make it beautiful and it's great. It's like, that is wonderful. It's a tool. As soon as it's done, it's trash. Not not to put it down, although it did sound like I did that. Um, (laughs) But it's a step, it's a tool. I've done Broadway shows where I come up with my nice, beautiful paperwork. I give it to the head carpenter. He says, that's great. Can I just have a running order? And I'm going to write my cues down on the back of this flat. (laughs) Okay. Great. Right? So I could react like that. And I could say, okay, great. Here's the running order. Let's go. Or it could be like, oh, I put all my work and effort into that. Why is he not want to use it? Great. And that kind of attitude is not going to help me make the show any better. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So understanding management, leadership, mindset, emotional intelligence that is a huge, like, that's a mission for me. And so I, I'm seeing that as where I want to take my own personal future and to do mm-hmm. more of that type of um, education and set that kind of example. Um, 
as far as the technology and getting more into the nuts and bolts, I've had conversations with friends of mine who are waiting to see when we stage manage via social media. Like when, when do we wind up like direct messaging our schedule or when are we posting the schedule on Instagram as a private account? Yeah, you know, yeah. Those, those things are out there. Um, how we can harness it best is a real challenge. I know some stage managers get so proud of going all digital. I did my show without making any paperwork. That's great. It's a lofty Un- goal, yeah. yeah. Until you didn't charge your device and then in the middle <laughs> of the show, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a great stage manager, a friend of mine, Josh, <clears throat> we did a few shows together. He, um, he had a digital calling desk. So he doesn't do the call script on paper. He has a whole computer monitor and macros built in and he's flying through. Awesome. It's great. It looks beautiful. It's crystal clear. He's efficient. He's faster at it than he would be with pencil and paper. But I'm the sucker who was calling the show twice when the computer froze up. <laughs> So then uh, I take my backup print, printed copy and I'm like, uh, okay, we're here. Okay, good. <laughs> you know, right. So yeah. at, as a stage manager, I don't want to in, add additional potential points of failure. And I have a must, much less likely point of failure having paper. With, with the I hard do. copies. Yeah. 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 So it's kind of, I, I used to be on the like, oh, new school is great. And now I guess I'm getting a little older and now I'm falling back more into old school. <laughs> um, but I think the idea of being greener is wonderful. I know BGA, the Broadway Greed Alliance, would be huge proponents of that. Right, um, right. But we also need to protect the show. So if I'm going to be printing out a copy anyway, like, then what is the advantage? Because I could switch, switch over to the report and start working the report when the, in the middle of a book scene before the next musical number. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Is necessary? Not so much. But it is really cool. I, mean, I think the stage managers over at Kinky Boots, and I think Groundhog Day had this too, where it they had a database where you could input the show numbers from the call desk and it would go right to the database in the office computer and then you could send the report that much faster, which is great. Get you out the door faster at the end of the night. Right. I'm, I'm all for that because when the show is over, the show is over, you deserve to be able to get out of that theater as fast as you possibly can as long as the job's done. Yeah, because one of the things that I've used in cast before is the the Facebook group, the closed mm-hmm. uh, private Facebook group. And I know that that's been a way that stage managers, directors, whoever is in the group can then communicate. And it seems to be a quicker way until you don't check that group, which happened to me sometimes. Like these whole conversations were going on about, okay, we're going to be doing this, doing this. But of course, I'm either waiting on an email or waiting on this. And I didn't realize that everything was in that group. And so I I missed a few things. (laughs) That's interesting. I hadn't thought about a private Facebook group, which would be great. But then it's the job of the stage manager to make sure everyone is on board. And that's right. where you set expectations. Um, you know, sometimes we think in our mind, like, oh, yeah, so we'll do it this way. But if I don't tell the company what the expectation is, yeah. it doesn't quite work. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's people get upset or miss out on something. Um, that's one of the reasons in my, in my emails, um, if it's sensitive information, I'll say, please reply that you got this. And then I set up the expectation, like first day of rehearsal, I will send out the email with the next day's schedule by this time every night. Right. If you don't get it by this time every night, it's on you to reach out to me. So this way, if, there's a, if I sent it out, but there's a technical failure, you don't get it for some reason, your Wi-Fi goes down or you know, the internet tubes are clogged up, <laughs> then I'll start getting calls that like, oh, I didn't get the schedule, I didn't get the schedule. Oh, okay. Oh, look, it's stuck in my outbox. That can right. happen. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Technology can fail. So you, what you set up the expectation. Now, oh, I didn't get a schedule. I must not be called. No, <laughs> that's not. That's not what happens. Yeah. It's like, but you have to set up that expectation so that it's very clear, so everyone knows in the beginning. 
And that's where I think there's so much going on these days that sometimes we, we skip that very important step. Yeah. And as far as setting up expectation, uh, one, one of my last questions, I actually wanted to cover that difference between the ASM, the SM, and the PSM, and the, the, that kind of that hierarchy of stage management. What, what is the best way to describe that and how we actors can approach each of those different levels? Cool. Well, the simplest to start at the top, the PSM, the production stage manager, sometimes just called the stage manager, um, is, the, is the head cheese. They're the one in charge of running the room, making sure that all communications happen. They're the Captain Kirk of the, of the ship. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, now, after that, it can get a little muddy because it depends on the nature of the team. There are some teams where the AS, the first assistant and the second assistant become, are just subordinates, just doing as they're told. There are other times that they're empowered with a lot of free range, like this is your hemisphere. You deal with all the props. That's going to be all, your whole world. Anyone has questions about props, are going to come to you. Anyone has questions with costumes, they're going to come to this other person. It could be set up like that. It could be set up where the PSM is just a supervisor. I'm going to deal with the director. You guys deal with everything else. Hmm. And anything information I get, I'll flow down to you guys, but you're going you're gonna to do that. Other ones, other PSM will hold everything really tight and delegate tasks. You do A, you do B, you do D, you So it's really hard to give a global idea, but the PSM is the head. And then when, the, when that person is out of the room, the first assistant would step up. You know, it's kind of, you know, the next man up. Right, right. Um, and then some shows have one ASM, two, three, four. I mean, Spider-Man, we had seven stage managers all together. Yeah. Now, I assume with that, each of them had their, their specific job or, or area of expertise that they stuck with. To a certain point. Um, I joined the show when it was already running. So I came into a, a, it was running already. I did not go through production with it, which I, I thank God for that. <laughs> I, I interviewed for it, and it's yeah. one of the jobs I'm really glad I didn't get. Yeah, And yet I was still fortunate enough to come into the show later on to actually work on it, which was a great experience. Because with, with seven stage managers during the run of the show and me being the lowest one, I would come in at the same time and I'd sit there and everyone else would have things to do. I'd be like, you need any help with anything? All right, I could help you carry the inserts out. Want me to pull some sliders? Because <laughs> if in a show running smoothly, it's fine. But when you're in tech and in production... You had one stage manager running stage right, one running stage left, one running the basement, one running everything that was happening overhead. That's four already. You've already surpassed your Broadway musical minimum. Yeah. You have one show caller on the lighting book. You have another show caller on the scenery and flying book. So there's six. Yeah. Right? Then you have to have another person to supervise all of that going on. Right? That's your PSM is being able to take care of everything. So... Seven stage managers on the show. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I can only imagine keeping all of that running fluidly because have, having seen the show, yeah, there were so many different elements and any one of them going going awry, then, then the, the show kind of stops, you know, whether it's the projections or, of course, the, uh, the, the harnesses and the flying and, I mean, anything, and, and the show stops. In those sequences where, you're, uh, where you have all that technology moving, that's exactly how it was built. And everyone had this, you had the right thing had to be said at the right time in the exact right sequence, or we just stopped. <laughs> and everyone knew that going in. This had to happen, then this, and you knew your script. And it wasn't just the show callers calling the scenery and the lights. Deck stage managers were calling cues. Deck carpenters were calling cues. All Just to get all the flyers ready, because you have to bring the line in, yeah. get them clipped, take tension, and then the actual cue to take them out. So you had, an, and this was all memorized. You didn't have time to look down. At notes, yeah, you yeah. knew that after this person said their thing, you had to be ready to do your thing, 
and then you waited for the next thing to happen and then the next thing and yeah, it was it was intense. But then the other times, it's like, oh, they're just singing a romantic love bow. This is great. I'm sitting backstage <laughs> and hanging out. Yeah, it was like any other show. But then when those moments would happen, you felt the entire building just focus in, zoom in. Here it comes, Spider Man, New York debut, and there it is. And we're, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But, I mean, yeah, it's because it it sounds like a big a big colossal undertaking. Just just with every show, because because like you said, each cue had to go with one, and that that's again that symbiotic relationship of the actors knowing the lines perfectly and stepping in the right place. Because an inch or two off, and then you're falling off of of a, of a lift or something. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, that's why I said earlier, stage management and the theater is not brain surgery until it is, and knowing when you switch over is a really important thing for stage managers. Because we need to be able to change the timbre of the room. Okay, this is great. We're having fun and it's jovial and wonderful. Okay, now we're going to talk about the scene where we hang four people. Okay, now we're focused. Like, I'm not cracking any more jokes. I'm not making any more bad puns. And goodness knows I, I know a lot of bad dad jokes. <laughs> and, but this is not the time for that. So I like doing Dr. Zhivago. We had a scene where we hung four people. It's like, okay, this is a time where we're going to listen in. We have a fight choreographer. We have a flight director. Let's figure out all the safety protocols and procedures and go step by step through this. Yeah. And then we can go back to, to being in a play. Yeah, right, right. Because now we're go doing back brain to surgery fun. and then we yeah. can go back to the play. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's one of those things that we were talking about, how technology is great when it works, but you have to have like fail safes and ways to, to keep going yeah. and, and figure out ways to, you know, when it's not working. Yeah. One of the things we used to talk about at those drink nights was like, if I had a dollar every time a, a carpenter told me like oh this will never this will never fail like no (laughs) invariably at some point it'll never go past its 10 it'll no okay that's great yes i agree with you until it's not until it does so we need to have an understanding of like when this fails (laughs) we we know what we're doing how do we signal a stop or whatever that is to to protect everyone and not break any scenery any worse than it already would be broken (laughs) Now, as as we wrap up here, one of the things that I love that stage managers get to do is like whenever I was on tour, we've gone through the rehearsal process, we've opened in a city, directors have now gone, and now we're just in the, the travel of, of the tour. And we get to understudy rehearsals, or you know, you're putting someone into one of the principal roles or, or whatever it is, and now the stage manager is the director. And so how how is that? kind of switching the hats going from stage manager and now you're directing a scene, giving notes and making sure that character choices are being made and all that. Yeah, depending on where you're coming from and what you're personally comfortable with, that can be either a lot of fun or terrifying. <laughs> True, yeah, it depends yeah, on your some background and comfort. Are, some stage managers are much more technically oriented. They're much more on interactive people. Some of them are much more into the creative process. Um, so it can be... It, it depends on the individual. I, I love understated rehearsals. I think they're a lot of fun. When I was on Les Mis, as the second assistant, my job was to teach all the young Cosettes, young Eponines, and Gavroches. And then the first assistants would do the Mariuses and the Lovers, and then the PSM got to do the Valjean Javert and right, yeah. um, So that was a really fun way to get introduced to the idea of directing and putting people in. I just had the kids. They had a couple scenes. Right. It was great. Right. It was a lot of fun, and I got to hang out and play. And like, and then we go here, and then I get to play the Madame Thenardier and, you know, push a little young Cosette around and stuff. We had a good time. It was a great way to kind of get introduced in how you talk to actors. And coming from being an actor background made it a lot easier. I can understand motivation and Stanislavski technique and Uta Hagen. We can talk about that if you want. Um, but you also have to be quite efficient because you only have those 
two, maybe three days of four or five hour rehearsals right. in your week to do it. Right. Um, which is, which can be challenging. Um, when I was, uh, I took over as a, on the town, I did the last six weeks as the PSM. Every week we had to put in two new actors. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. It, was, wow. it was, it was the real, like the, the show posted notice and everyone started leaving. <laughs> it was the, yeah, ratchet, as, as happens, as yeah. happens. It, yeah. I've closed many shows. <laughs> um, I is, get, that, really is that a sign? Out. Is that a sign that, yeah, <laughs> for a while, I, for a little bit, I was, the people started calling me the Mariana Rivera of Broadway. I was the closer. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 If, so, if you came in, you knew the show was going down. Yeah. yeah. When I, when I joined Finding Neverland, that's, they really thought that the show was going to close. Fortunately, <laughs> it did not post notice while I was there. I left, then they posted notice, but I did come back to close it. Right. <laughs> right. So reputations does hold. Um, but that idea of directing can be a lot of fun. It's where you get to exercise a lot more other creative muscles. Um, but you still have to be creative in interpreting the director's vision. And as a stage manager I work with many times, Linda Marvel, she's amazing. And one of the great things she does is she's very sensitive in the rehearsal process to how the director is directing, how they're talking to the actors and what they're saying to them. To the point would be like during tech, if the director goes on stage to talk to an actor, she'd send me on stage, go stand next to them and turn your mic on, tell me what they're saying. You know, <laughs> really that sponge of absorbing, like how, how is the director talking to this actor about that part? And then you translate that, okay, how do I talk to the understudy actor about that part? Right, right. Because it's not just about putting that actor in, it's about getting that actor to hit all the marks like the mm-hmm. other actor, but still be able to be themselves in the part. Because no, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the tough part about being an understudy. You're, you're fulfilling a role, you're fitting into shoes that have already walked it, have already done it, and you just need to be that. But at the same time, you still want to infuse it with some of your own... Isms. You don't go into being an actor just to be a robot. Right. Not at all. Um, so one of the things we'll try to do if we're getting someone ready is like first know the ABCs. You'll get to do the acting. But first, know the words, know the places you go, know the special marks to hit, make sure you're safe and whatever things you have to do. Then we can go and do that other stuff. So it really is a layering. So you take the whole rehearsal process. You go, okay, we've got two weeks to do this whole thing. Learn your music, learn your choreography, learn the backstage traffic, and then we'll do, we'll do the blocking, make sure you have all that, and then we'll start to layer in the scene work. I can get an actor in the show to keep the show running and still rehearse. Okay, that was great. Last night you hit all your marks. Great, you learned some new things. Every time you go on stage, you learn new stuff. Next week, we'll have rehearsal with some other of the actors so you're acting with them and not just me. Exactly. So you can layer that stuff in. You know, um, I've done understudy rehearsals like on Les Mis where it's like I have to play Javert. <laughs> you know, and you know where that's kind of funny. You'll get to live out a childhood dream. It's like, yeah, the Valjean would prefer to have an actor. Like, I, I <laughs> a better example would be when I had to be Fontaine in a rehearsal. See, yeah, that yeah, was, there you go. That I, was quite unfortunate. And the music director actually had some vocal notes for and me. And some notes for you. I was like, I'm doing my best here. I'm just trying to fill in. I kind of love that whenever a stage manager steps in and, you know, I mean, their own book and the rest of us are off book, obviously, but but they're they're like being in character. They're actually giving us stuff you to work with. You want to try with. to give it's, something. It's, it's, something it's so, is better so than fun. nothing. Yeah, something. exactly. And, and again, it does it does juice it up a little bit. It's that it's different enough that we actually have to listen. Yeah. Um, um, and so that, that, that can be that can be a lot of fun. I've, especially on a long running show, Understudy rehearsals were so much more fun than actually running the show. You get to dive in and enjoy. And true, I, true. I, I harken back to Les Mis again. It's one of my, you know, Les Mis and Full Monty are my really long runs. Um, but when you have a source material like that to dive into, 
you can really get into the the dramaturgy of it and talk about where these characters are coming from and what they were experiencing. Yeah. Like this isn't really in the play, but you can use it to play the play. So we could talk about some of those things. And that was, you know, our dance captain on that show had been there for many years, had a lot of institutional knowledge to share and to, and to listen. So when he's putting someone in, hear all that information coming out then when he's on vacation and i have to put in another male swing like <laughs> yeah. oh i remember all that stuff scott was saying so now i can and then we, i'm sitting there and we're like i don't know what babette dudes babette dudes does in this scene we'll watch it tonight and then we'll compare notes tomorrow and see right right out. yeah yeah sometimes you have to do that yeah uh. it's process if, if you can embrace the process as long as you get this is one of the overarching jobs we have is get the best show on stage every night the best show possible, the possible being the important part. So if you can get an actor up just so that they can keep the show open, that's good. Then you can add the next step. Then you could add the next step. There are just so many levels and layers to the stage manager's job, both both uh, professionally, technically, as well as artistically and creatively. So it's, a, it's certainly a, a multi-layered job. And it sounds like that that's a lot about what the symposium is, understanding each of those layers and being able to to accomplish all of them. It's a lot of fun. I think about it like the world's largest stage management office. And we go inside and we close the door and we laugh and we cry and there's no judgments and every question is a good question. Yeah. Well, thank you for answering my questions today. It's been a joy to have you on, Matt. Oh, my pleasure. It's great. I love this stuff. To find out more about today's guest and listen to previous episodes, go to the website, winmepodcast.com. There you will find ways to follow and connect via Twitter and Instagram, as well as a way to support this podcast. As always, thank you for joining me on this episode. And don't forget to subscribe and review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Currently, the podcast has five stars, which I am so grateful for. Until next time, keep making it, and I'll see you then. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.